Well, this is crazy because we've got Tammy Gavea, we've got Robert Arevalo, we got Rob Dick, we got Davy Dave on yep. the ones and twos, we've got Rob Tootie Rinks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Let's Get Into It. Episode number 30. 30. Let's into our special guest, President GM of El Rey Network. Did I get that right? That is correct. All right, oh. cool. And then we have Skip Shasan, also from El Rey Network. Yep. What do you do there, Skip? Chief Creative Officer. This is amazing. We all grew up on Robert Rodriguez. Well, the podcast kind of started a little bit with Rodriguez. I don't know if you guys know this, but this guy here, Rod Tootie Rinks, is a filmmaker, and he has been preaching Robert Rodriguez's $7,000 movie for like the 20 years I've known him. He told me there's no way, because he's from the old school, from the new school. He's like, seven grand, that's like the the catering budget. For right. day. <laughs> it is it is really the Bible for every film student for the last twenty years. Yeah. Everyone carries it, they have it. Rebel they without read a crew it. you're talking the book. about. That's correct. Yeah. The book that Robert wrote and and which which chronicles his journey making his first feature for seven thousand dollars. Of course we all know El Mariachi. Rod is someone who really took Robert Rodriguez to heart, his book. His teachings, what he did, and then he went out and did it for ten grand. So we have a yep. whole episode that covers his ten thousand dollar movie, which he's currently in progress on, which yep. falls in line with what Robert Rodriguez is, is all about. Yep, and there were ups and downs. We'll get back to it, but what I really want to talk about, Daniel, tell me about how you got started in the business. Started in the business, I went to Arizona State University, and this is this is a little bit of a, a crazy story. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, and this is an absolute truth. Thing that happened on March uh, 12th of 1993, completely lost, completely trying to figure out what my life was going to be. I just had a very clear vision that I was going to be a producer. I didn't know what that was. I had no education in it. I wasn't really sure, but I had a love for television and I had a love for business. And I knew being a producer could bring those things together like no other job on this planet. And I went into my boss that day, literally 30 minutes after this vision, and I quit my job. And he leaned back and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to be a producer. And he was like, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) So from there, I um, basically worked my way into an internship that I shouldn't have had. It was just kind of calling people cold and they thought I was a student. They ended up bringing me in unpaid. And I just stuck around long enough for someone at some point to say, hey, go to this shoot and you can see what it's like to be a producer. When I showed up, the producer didn't show up. And someone on the crew said, well, Daniel works in promo. Let him do it. So I wrote and produced it. I took it back to the station. The head of promo walked up to me and said, what were you thinking? That thing should have been canceled. You kept people out there for six hours. You're an intern. And I said, watch it. If you like it, hire me. If you hate it, you'll never see me again. That's like a movie, dude. <laughs> that's like a movie. That is balls to the wall. That's what let's and they get into it. it's out about. And they loved and they it. Loved of course they loved it. You wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be here. So did you bring it back, cut it, and say watch it? Or Yes. Okay, right. Yes. So, you, so you went through I did all the, the whole motions. Thing. Wow. I did the whole thing. I and figured how did it, it out. How it did felt it amazing. Really? It felt amazing. So it felt like fish to water. Yep. Oh, wow. And then suddenly I, w- I became a writer and producer in Arizona. Yeah. And I started working for independent production companies in the different stations, KPNX, KSAZ, Pinnacle, Dream Street Films, all the locals started hiring me to do their projects. And then one day, one of those production companies said that they were going to be in LA, work for this guy, Ed Wilson, who was starting a new company. Would I like to join them? 
and I joined them. And so that was my jump into Los Angeles. Wow. And the beauty of that is a year later, that company was bought by CBS. We became CBS Enterprises. So the reason I've gotten to work in so many different areas is early on in my career, there were seven divisions of CBS that we were a part of that I was developing and overseeing original production for. Right. So domestic syndication, international, licensing and merchandising, right? Even the idea of distributing content globally, I got to learn. And so it was at that time we were doing the uh, action hours of the 90s. If you remember like Pensacola, Wings of Gold, or Sci Factor with mm -hmm. Dan Aykroyd, those were shows I got to be a part of as well as Martha Stewart, right. Bob Vila, The Wild Wild Web. Bob Vila? Bob yeah. Vila. Holy I got to work with Bob Vila, which was phenomenal, yeah. right? So I got to work with all these Everyone icons in my Vila. early 20s, yeah. which seemed odd. You know, I would show up on set and they would look at me and go, what are you doing here? You know, yeah. and I'd be like, well, I'm the executive in charge and, you know, have to take on that role. Right. So it was a great time to learn. And I learned everything I could. I did every job I could. I paid attention to everybody, looked, you know, just got in every room and listened. I didn't talk. I just listened and learned. And that's really what sparked then the rest of every vision and every position I've had after that. That's amazing. What a great wow. story. I think, uh, the thing to be learned there is, uh, you know, watch and listen and learn. Yeah. You know, every opportunity you get. And, and obviously levels, take a risk. Have levels. Yeah. Huge risk. Yeah. Did you know when you, um, when your producer didn't show up, did you know that you were doing something that was probably <laughs> a little questionable? Absolutely. You did? I okay. was actually really nervous. And yeah. There was a guy named Steve Snow, and I'll never, I'll never forget him, and I'll always thank him. He was the one who said it. He was the one who said, well, Daniel works in promo. Let him do it. Right. And I had that moment of, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, crap. Yeah. But I just sat down, and we started working it through, and we put it together, and the talent showed up, and we shot it, and we took it back, and we put it together, and Super. that was it. Delivered. So fast forward, nice. you, uh, you get the companies you're working for get bought by CBS. What's the next big thing you get? At that time, when I, when I was looking at all the different types of programming we were doing, I really got excited about scripted. I really loved working on Pensacola with James Brolin, and right. I loved working with Dan Aykroyd. And so I said at that moment, I want to go the route of scripted development. And again, put it out into the universe, made it something that I was dedicated to, to, to do. And I was very fortunate that there were two really well-noted producers, Bob Papazian and Jim Hirsch. Bob Papazian uh, had done The Day After, right? right? So, which he won an Emmy for, was very well. Jim Hirsch had done The Rape of Richard Beck. So these guys were really known in the 80s and the 90s, and they were producing a show with um, uh, Don Johnson, Nash Bridges, at the time. Right. And they were looking for a development executive. Yeah. So I go and I meet with them, and it's one of those meetings where you're convinced these guys think, you know, who is this kid? There's no way we're going to hire him. He must have been the, the cousin of somebody. How old are you at this point? Uh, probably mid-20s by okay. then. So, <laughs> so you're a young mid, guy. Yeah, I was a young guy. Yeah. I think I was a young guy. Yeah, and um, they give me the job. And with them, I learned about script writing. I learned, and probably the most critical thing is I learned about the unions. I learned about SAG mm -hmm. and DGA mm -hmm. and WGA. I learned how they all work. Mm -hmm. And we were doing everything from TV movies. We were working with uh, World International Network, right. making these $1 million films and then selling them as negative pickups uh, domestically and then internationally uh, through that group. If everybody can Google what that was. Yeah. Uh, we were doing a lot of pilots for companies like CBS at the time. But the real big hit was one day I had 
um, it, it actually came about because at the time I was thinking about uh, I'm a bit of a history nut. I'm, mm. a, I'm a bit of a history nut around the Roman Empire time, World War II, Civil War, kind of these dynamic moments in history where yeah. you see the best of humanity and the worst yeah. of humanity, right? right? And that, that dichotomy was always interesting to me. And I saw a lot of the similarities of what was happening in the U.S. at the time, and I would parlay it to the idea of the Roman Empire and how no republic has lasted 400 years, how we're driven, how right. we as individuals are constantly being driven by things out of our control or things that, like religion or politics, uh, and, and how that affects us, right? Things yeah. we, we don't control. And so I'm on this soapbox, and I meet with a guy named Bill McDonald. Bill McDonald had done films like Sliver and Molly and a few mm. other films at the time. And I'm telling him this, and he goes, well, you know, there's a film being produced um, in Milan, Gladiator, and he tells me what it is. <laughs> and I said, I've always had this idea that we should do I, Claudius meets Gladiator. And he goes, I love that. It's a great idea. And, I, and, and he says, I love that. And I said, and we started talking about, well, it could be a syndicated hour. And he goes, no, it should be something bigger. And I said, well, I know Anthemopolis over at HBO. He goes, why don't we go pitch it to her? <laughs> so a week later, we're in front of Anthemopolis. We pitch this idea. She says, I love it. Let's do it. Wow. We have no material. <laughs> we, have no, we, we pitch it. Yeah. And she comes around the desk and she says, if you get John Milius... We're going to green light this. Wow. Bill had done Rough Riders with John Milius. And so we get in Bill's car that day. We drive to Warner <laughs> Brothers. We go into John Milius's office. And I'm, I'm white as a ghost. I'm thinking to myself, I'm standing in front of John Milius. Right. <laughs> this is weird. We pitch it. John Milius goes, I'm in. John Milius uh, wrote Conan the Barbarian, which Skip told us, yep. Apocalypse Now, Rome, Homefront, Medal of Honor, Rough Riders, Clear and Present Danger, Damn. Geronimo. I mean, the list goes on. What was in. the pitch like? What did you guys tell him? It was the same pitch we gave Anthemopolis. It so was it was the, just a good and, idea. Well, and it was a good idea, yeah. but it was also, again, it was, if you think about season one, it was the rise and fall of Caesar, right? right? But it was from the eyes of the centurions, the two. And they're the only two that Caesar ever wrote about in his journals, right? right? So it was that idea, though, of the common man. Right. right, and that's the yeah. connective tissue back to today. Yeah. Right? right, how is the common man pulled in directions from external forces? Brilliant. That's the idea. Brilliant. Right. So John responded to it. Obviously, Bill did. Anthemopolis did. Um, now, but that was the beginning. Right. It had many, and there's books on it and tons yeah. of writing. So I won't go into it, but it had plenty of moments where it was dead, and then plenty of moments where it came back to life. Right. Everything from the deal, which took at least nine months right. i remember that very clearly because i had to negotiate it right. with each one of the parties um but then the development uh bruno heller right who wrote the the scripts having him come on board right working with the executives at hbo um and then you know getting into production there were floods there were fires there were changes in producers i mean right. yeah at the time bob apazin and jim hirsch both were this you know kind of telling me hey this Probably isn't going to happen. It oh, probably really? isn't going to happen. You know? Probably isn't going to happen. Yeah, right. And then I have the, a feeling that you're going to make sure yeah, happen. The yeah. day, the day, uh, and I and I remember Jim Hirsch and I standing on the red carpet in 2005 of the premiere, and Jim Hirsch walked up to me and he goes, "Daniel, my boy, 
You did it. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to happen, but you did it. <laughs> so what was the time frame from when you went into the office, office at HBO? The About five or six years. Five or six years. Yeah, five wow. or six years. And, and by then, I moved on. I moved on to fireworks television where I got to do things, uh, uh, some more scripted kids programming. Yeah. And then from there, ended up running the Fox Lab in production for 20th television. Right. And, that's, you know, and that was a whole other change in my career where I said, okay, I've done scripted. Feel good about that. And for years, by the way, I would tell people, oh, yeah, I got this thing at HBO called Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure you do. Sure yeah. you do. No, no, I really yeah, do. Sorry, it's I mean, it's going to be big. It's really expensive. Right. <laughs> and uh, But I just kept kind of moving along while that was going through development and while it was going through production. Right. So unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to play a role in production right. because by the time it went in production around 2003, you doing something else. I was at the Fox Lab. Right. Yeah. But that's how it happens. Yeah. That's how it happens. Wow. But it was still a, a, an unbelievable experience. Yeah. I mean, that's the crazy thing, I think, about production. I think everyone here can attest to it, is that things take a, sometimes a long time to occur. Yeah. You have the deal. You have the writing. You have the development. You have the production. You, you know, there's lots of stuff that has to happen before something gets uh, gets done and it gets aired. So yeah. You have to you know be what? patient yeah. and you have to be relentless. Yeah. Right? And those are two... Kind of interesting qualities, right? Yeah, and and you got to play them right, right? Because right. if you, you, I've seen it, I've seen it even with me as a buyer or a seller. Sometimes if you push too hard, that could kill a project. Right. Sometimes if you don't push hard enough, so it's got to mm. be, it's got to be timing. It's got to be, um, it's got to be a great project. So, you do Rome. It gets on the red carpet. You go uh, to work at Fox. What happens after Fox? What do you, what do you do after that? Well, the the thing that. Um, I was really happy with that Fox is, is the idea of running production and the Fox Lab enab enabled me to be experimental, right? So we did shows like Classmates and Classmates.com, which technically was the first convergence show on broadcast television. Is right? that based and on? The website oh, that yeah. was Classmates, right? So I went and made that deal with Classmates. We ended up making the show. Um, and that, you know, that was cool. I got on yeah. CNN and interviewed yeah. for that, you know, bridge. And then, um, uh, and I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier. In uh, 2003, a buddy of mine brought me a Nokia 6600 back from the UK. It was a video phone. It right. did not belong yeah. in the U.S. It was not supposed to be in the U.S. It didn't work in the U.S. But I was working with AT&T on a deal. And so I asked a guy to have his engineers make it work. And it did. God, that's a movie in itself. <laughs> think about that. The guy gets a phone from Europe and he's like, wait a minute here. I see something. Everyone's like, no, no, it's all about the flip, the razor. Actually, know? what, what yeah, was it? Yeah, was, it, was it was a brick phone with a video screen. Yeah. And, and, and once the, the AT&T guy saw it, he said, wow, now everybody wants this. But I started putting content on it. I started taking our stuff from the Fox Lab and specifically a really genius, manipulated reality. You couldn't tell if it was you know, scripted or reality done by a guy named Guy Shalem. And he's a director. He's done a lot of things now. But he created this uh, project called Love and Hate. Mm -hmm. And we started, I started putting clips of it on the phone, showing it around Fox. And at the time, they were doing some of the first deals with Vcast for um, recut material. So they were right. taking licensed content, cutting it down to short-form episodes. Mm. And then the plan was it, when Vcast, which was uh, the video service of Verizon at the time, Yeah, I remember launched, Vcast. It was going to be a part yeah. of it. Right. So, but I pitched with them uh, Verizon the idea of doing these originals. Sunset Hotel and um, Love and Hate, right. and they bought them. So nice. I went and pitched it at dinner, and again bought mm. in the room. Right, literally committed the dollars we needed to create both of these first two original Mobisodes at a dinner at Crustaceans, 
And so I walked out of in there Bever- pretty in Beverly high. Hills. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I walked yeah. out of there pretty high, and we started trying to figure out what the user experience was going to be on this device. Because remember, it didn't exist. The 3G right. network ha- d- didn't exist at right. that what moment. What year was this again, Daniel? This was 2003 was when I got the phone. Yeah. 2004 is when we started producing right, right. the Mobisodes. Wow. So the biggest challenge I had was, well, what would the network speeds be, right? What is right. 3G? What does that look like? What is the right. real capabilities of the device? How much buffering right. is the consumer going to have? And how do we eliminate the friction that the consumer is going to have by creating a lightweight video episode, right. right, that would have low buffering, but you would be able to enjoy a story. Right. And when we looked at it, we came up and we realized that, and we were guessing, but we were playing around with technology, that we could do it for, it was like 584K, right? That was the max. Right. And what that meant from a compression standpoint in video quality is I could have one minute of video. That was it. So our stories had to be uninterrupted. One minute. minute. That was it. One minute, yeah. And so we had to then think about what stories would you create. And a lot of people at the time were thinking, oh, let's just take a 26-minute episode and cut one minute. And the answer is no. You can't do that. Because it needed Mm. to feel like a series. An arc, right? And so each episode had to have a beginning, middle, and end. Right. And so that's how we started designing the shows. And then that's when uh, 24, the Mobisode 24 came out. And those were the three first Mobisodes that launched, um, I want to say February 15th or 9th, I think it was, of 2005. And that was the revolution. That New York Times article, and that was the beginning of everybody stopping and saying, wait a minute, this is real. And it's funny because I had the same conversation with my boss then at the time. I went into him and uh, and I said, I'm going to leave. He knew me for many years and he said, but you have a great career in television. What what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to make television for cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> and he just what <laughs> And he was like, good luck with that. <laughs> a lot of people told Daniel Tibbetts, good luck with that. Good luck with and that. And you know what? They gave it's you a true. lot of luck. It yeah, worked out. True. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see it to be like it is now? Like, no idea. Because more Absolutely. people watch. Oh, really? Absolutely. Yeah. Because thought- it was after that I went to GoTV. I was recruited by uh, some VCs, Bessemer Ventures and Charles River Capital. Yeah who had invested in a technology, a mobile video technology called 1K TV, which was a video player on Sprint. They brought me in to build out the studio. Did you get stock in any of this? Well, GoTV, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's we right. sold the company Go in TV 2011. Sold. Did it yeah, sell yeah. to Disney? Did it, it sell to Disney? It sold to a company called Funware out oh, of Boston. Oh, Funware. We all have our own televisions in our phones now. We just, we sh- yeah. you know, whatever room we're in, we just watch it from yeah. our phone to our TV. Well, what was interesting about then is everything on the cell phone costs money, right? It's not like it is today where you have free apps. Right. It was all carrier deck placement. It was going to cost and you everything dough. was, so our channels were four ninety nine a month. And right. so you would buy Hip Hop Official or Rock on Altitude or, you know, our Laugh Riot comedy yeah. channel. We had 21 channels launched all for, you know, four ninety nine a month. And people were willing to pay it mm. because that's how you got it. Right. But it was also a different experience. I mean, you're right. talking about everything from 15 frames a second to two frames a second. Right. to You yeah. know, it just varied. Did things based on move so quickly that that kind of became obsolete? Is it that did. what happened? Yeah. So yeah. The, 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 the idea of feature phones and porting to 2000 different devices to have your video, which we had to do. Right. We had to figure that out. 
when the iPhone came about and Android operating system, we were actually one of the first companies to develop apps for both iPhone and got Android. It. Okay. Oh, wow. Motorola was one of our so you stayed in as it. was Qualcomm. Oh, okay, got yeah. it. So we then converted all of our product into smartphone product right. as the feature phone slowly died off. But it became more difficult because the monetization didn't exist. You could not have in-app um, purchases. And Apple didn't have reoccurring payments. So right. the consumer would pay four ninety nine a month and then I would have to continue to On their them. phone bill. Right, oh, but once. Once. Right? Oh. And it wasn't until really a few years later where the reoccurring payment in app payments became accessible or capable on the devices we have today. Right. So it was tough. That's amazing. I mean, right. so you were definitely on the forefront of, of uh, mobile stuff. Um, Hold what, on a second. Hold on. Uh, Daniel, what do you see coming next? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Hold on a second. You know Hold That's on. A really Forget good about the podcast. What's next? <laughs> yeah, can we go offline? <laughs> Let's go offline. I want to get a little uh, I have some investing. Ideas, in you have some ideas? Okay. <laughs> you got out of the mobile business after that? Yes. Okay. And then what was we next? We sold it. So the, the um, uh, prior to selling it, uh, Gil Goldshine of Buren Murray Productions and John Murray wow. had approached me to see if I could build their digital department, right? and that's, build the digital uh, business those guys at Buren Murray Productions. Those guys got famous uh, at MTV, right, doing With the, the real, real world. world. Yeah, right, okay. Correct. And but the Kardashians and all these. Huge. Like, they've built so many big franchises for yeah. networks. They're right, the biggest the and the best. And so I was very fortunate that um, we sold, signed the paperwork to sell GoTV, and the next day... I started at Buren Murray as their head of digital. Amazing. And worked with them to really incubate and create new production models, new types of content, again, short form, uh, leveraging what, you know, they had built, obviously, but now bringing it to the small screen. Right. That's very cool. Um, and what happened? Where'd you go next? Well, then uh, uh, I was approached by um, Machinima. So when Warner Brothers uh, took Machinima, old, right. Yeah. That's how so you say that. You remember Machinima was yeah, around for quite some yeah, time. Right. And uh, when I was at Buren Murray, I started really thinking about, so you think about what's next, right? Each right. one of these ventures for me were about what's next. When I was at Buren Murray, I started thinking about the MCN business, right? And this, this idea of the multi-channel network. Yeah. And I was fascinated by companies like um, uh, Defy was in it, Machinima was in it. Uh, who was the other big one that Disney bought? Maker Studios, okay. Maker right? Studios. Maker Studios. That's so right. So I had a, a a really clear vision of what that meant. As a matter of fact, I worked uh, really closely with David Gale mm -hmm. when he was creating We Are the Mighty. Right. He and I were able to incubate that for about six months together, and he went off and launched that, which is incredible. I ended up getting a call asking if I'd be interested in the chief content officer job at Machinima. And my first reaction was, eh, they've been through a lot. Right. The difference was Warner Brothers had come in with investment and Chad Gutstein had come in as the CEO. And I knew Chad's vision for what he wanted to do with Machinima was right on target, right. which was to be more than a YouTube channel to really syndicate, right? It all comes back to my years in syndication back at CBS Enterprises. Wow that content in that channel as many places as possible. And so I signed on. Right. Couldn't wait to sign on. And at that time, we were able then to make those deals, um, and we produced over 600 hours of digital-first content in a year wow. through the, the finance modeling, the original production, That's everything a lot of we work. were building. It was a lot of work. That's a lot of and work. we did it with a lot of big brands like Transformers, Happy Wheels, which was a mobile game, um, Street Fighter, um, we worked with um, Mortal Kombat. Like we did all this great, yeah. innovative programming. We launched a show on C on the CW uh, called Chasing the Cup. So we really had a lot of success in making a lot of really 
great content mm. with the economics that made sense for a digital platform. You mentioned Maker. Um, why didn't Maker keep going? Do you have any it idea? It was bought by Disney yeah. for a lot of money. And I think I, I'm speculating. I wasn't on the inside, so I don't know. But yeah. I, think, I think it became a marketing tool for Disney more than it was an original content provider. That's one. Two, the MCN model overall just kind of imploded. It goes right? so It fast. started because only a certain number of players could monetize YouTube back in 2007, 2008. GoTV was one of those companies. Uh, we actually had three of the original first 10 channels that right. were being monetized oh, wow. on YouTube. Machinima was one of the 10. Got okay? it. What Machinima did, which was very smart, is they would say to all the sorts of creators, if you want to monetize, do it through us. And so they created their own syndication right. model, which was the birth of the MCN. Right. The minute anybody could monetize directly with YouTube, that suddenly was no longer leverage. So those types of companies sort of just Started to fade away. Yeah. That's correct. It's amazing how fast it happens, right? I mean, it's and crazy. And it's still happening. That's what's crazy. It's not over. It's still it's going. Still going. It, it, I, it I want to be. Yeah, right? I want to be twenty years younger. Come you know, on, take Roberts, advantage come of on. it. Well, um, yeah, but you have all the you, you have all the experience you. and the knowledge today to take advantage. Of. Yeah, but the know. prices but are the, the prices are different, Roberts. That's what we got to talk about. The prices. <laughs> the prices. The prices. Ten grand for a film is not bad. Bad idea. No, it's not it's a bad great idea. idea. <laughs> it already, already happened. It can't be, can't can't be, be done. done. That's what he told me. It can't be Don't done. Don't tell Dan Tibbetts it can't be done. It can be done. The economics for the the. And forgive me for this, because this is a man, Skip here, who is very quiet. We're going to get to Skip. We're going to get to Skip. You're not getting away from this. He's done very big budgets and is a man of high quality. The way I have looked at quality is quality is subjective based on the platform and the realities of the business model you're trying to create. If you know you have $250,000 a week to create five half hours, then you're going to be as creative as humanly possible within that two hundred and fifty, and have the best product. Right. So it's not about the dollars. It's about understanding what you can do with the dollars. Right. That's smart. Um, do we want to get to El Rey now, or it was, is there some? Well, El Rey happened next. Okay. Oh, oh wait. Oh, look at that. It's a machinima. <laughs> hey, you're good. I'm good. You're you good. are good. No, no, no. You're I'll make, good. I'll make the quick transition on how I got there, but Skip was actually there at the very, very beginning. Skip, were you there at the beginning? Yes. Beginning, beginning? Yeah, just before. Have you worked with Robert Rodriguez, Skip, before that? Yes. Pull that mic up closer to you. Just, yeah, or, or yeah I worked with Robert um, a number of times just before then. Um, I'm trying to think of. Where we actually started talking about El Rey was on uh, Machete. Okay. Oh, the, the movie Machete, right? Yeah. What year? Um, oh, I'm not sure. Maybe 2010? Yeah, 9 or 10? Uh, let's see. El Rey 5, maybe? so 6, 7 years ago. With Danny Trejo? Yeah, with Danny. Um, mm. And uh, how I met Robert was um, I'd known other people that were friends with Robert, but we just never connected. Yeah. Um, at that time, I was doing a lot of... Uh, uh, trailer movie campaigns and working on films and such so uh, I got a call from Fox um, saying hey Robert's got a, a movie called Machete uh, Machete and um, pardon me Machete Machete, machete. Uh, hey um, but uh, uh, they asked me to work on it and I was like oh this is great um, and uh, I think it, it feels like it was really close but it probably wasn't um, Predators was before that Right. Um, and I actually had worked with and talked to Quentin Tarantino before uh, meeting Robert, and um, my business partners were all kinds of friends, but um, that's how the connection to Robert was through uh, Machete. 
So my company, Skip Film, was doing um, motion picture advertising and um, advertising for uh, television yeah. and uh, producing a couple of TV shows. Hey, um, let me ask you, yeah. because I'm uh, old, apparently, but um, we had... <laughs> Not apparently, well, player. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, had, um, we were talking about... Do you guys remember the In a World? In a yes, World. Right? Okay, so yeah. there was a bunch of guys... Who drove around in limos around yeah, town? Yeah, Don LaFontaine was right. one of, He was the originator. Right, he was the originator of, of it, right? But there yeah. was like five other dudes. There was the Disney dude. There was the yes. drama dude. There was, mm-hmm. right? So my question is yeah, Al Chalk was the black guy. Is that still yeah, happening? Yeah, yeah. No, um, Roberts, come on. No, no, <laughs> no, no, actually not. Um, They're not driving around town anymore? No, well, maybe they drive around town, but uh, <laughs> mostly what they'll do, well, a lot of these guys have planes. Um, <laughs> oh, they're they, flying they, around. Yeah. Right. See, Robert still thinks they're in like limos. I stretch they were limos. Like stretch limos from the yeah. 80s. Helicopters. Yeah, they, well, not, the same thing. It's a good, if you can become a narrator, that's a good But what is the new, yeah. Skip, tell me, what is the new, um, like, well, is uh, it, it's, if it's not in a world or in a land, what is um, the new version well, of that? The core storytelling has been around forever. Right. So there are different ways to do storytelling. Um, and you're thinking about your particular audience and what the message is that you want to get across. Sometimes that's uh, served through narration. Yeah. And if it's on radio, that's what it is. It's the voice. Right. Um, along with sound and uh, sound effects and music. Um, depending on the product, uh, you're combining narration with type or with uh, graphics on screen, which now seems to be it's, it's commonplace. Um, but if you can imagine that, that it went away. It wasn't in vogue for a long time. Right. Um, it was huge in the 50s, huge in the 60s. Um, then it went away. And then the voice of God, Don LaFontaine, who uh, was a trailer editor. Rated R. Yeah. At, at, think of it. He was a trailer editor, uh, an assistant, and That's an editor. That's hilarious. So he yeah. did his so own. So he, he did his own scratch. And um, Paramount great. execs were like, hey, this guy's great. Yeah. Um, and so... That's where he I love this yeah. business. That's where um, so now is it more you're using lines from the movie to to motivate your story in a trailer? Yeah, it depends. Well, think of each one is it's um, motion picture advertising is storytelling. Yeah. So you're you're telling a, a beginning, middle, end, kind of an end. Right, and not uh, a quite a end. Right. Yeah. Um, for whatever you're doing. So that's the particular storytelling. E- even when you're doing a series, it is that same kind of storytelling, a beginning, middle, and kind of an end. Yeah. Um, and depending on what product you have available, so it's the, the footage or, or um, whether you have an entire TV show or one shot or um, an entire movie at your disposal, then you're telling the story of that particular piece. Right. And so sometimes, oh, it's a lot of graphics or sometimes it is type on screen or it's just periodically type on screen to help you make a logic jump. Right. Um, so you're not giving away any, everything, but you're going to sweet spots. So the mm-hmm. VO is still used. It's not it's just not used the way it was being used in the 80s, 90s. Just differently. Yeah. Differently. I mean, really. Uh, yeah. uh, so I, she I, was I, a girl. Yeah. You know? That, that Robert, I'm trying my best um, to get that. Come on, you're, you're begging over here. It's not happening anymore, player. It's we're not in '92. He wants okay. a plane. He yeah. wants. He wants I was, to be in the okay. like, no, um, If you are on CW or uh, on El Rey, depending on that product, yeah, that narration will work. All right, cool. Yeah, that's all. I want. <laughs> that's, that's all you need to I hear. Think we still we do a lot of that because we have a lot of yes. classic movies and yeah. classic shows that yeah. still yeah. lend itself. We to do that one on this show, and I'm going to do one special for this episode. Yeah. So it's going to be In a World on this episode. In a world where writers, directors, producers, and actors are all fighting to get their films made. 
comes a podcast that gets into it like no other podcast has ever gotten into it before. So, this summer, hang on to your laptops, because this time, there's no rewrite. Starring Mark Ice Roberts, Rod Tuddy Rinks, and on the ones and twos, Justin Wings Nichols. Let's get into it. Rated R. Under 17. Not permitted without a parent. <laughs> he has a really good narrative. Robert has a really good voice for that. He'll do that oh, yeah. voice of God thing. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, by our, the way, I don't have a trailer yet for Made in Mexico. I'm just saying. I'm yeah, just saying. Well, so yeah, I don't know. I got 10 grand, you know, so we'll talk about it. <laughs> you, talk about you had 10 grand. I had 10 grand. grand. I, got, <laughs> I got 120 left. I got a reshoot coming up. dollars <laughs> Yeah, for okay, what well, you're buying tonight. That's gone. <laughs> you know what? Talking to uh, talking about El Rey, Robert Rodriguez, talking to Dan Tibbetts, uh, talking to Skip. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Anyway, I want to do a little sidebar here for okay. a second. Yep. So, Ann Roberts just became the number one most listened to podcast. What? She surpassed me. She surpassed you. Not by yeah. much. I think you guys are close. I'm pretty sure it's within about If it 10. had to be anybody, I'm glad it was It's Anne. within 10. But speaking of Ann Roberts, you know, she's the executive producer of Disney Weddings. Yeah. Her partner, who's also the executive producer, his name is Simon Lithgow. Right. He produced on American Idol. And I was told by a good source that American Idol used extrememusic.com Are you serious? On that show, yeah. That is awesome. Pretty amazing, right, David? I like that. On American Idol? On American Idol. Shows. Right. Well, here's another thing. The hit show that Anne and Simon produce, which yeah. is called Disney Weddings, yeah. which is going to be on Disney Plus, also uses extreme music. I didn't know this. This is completely a surprise so to me. So extreme music is just taking over. Yeah, I didn't know. I had no idea that extreme music is being used on Disney Weddings. Yeah. And then today... And told me that their theme song is, no, is knock it off, also from ExtremeMusic.com. I'm gonna Damn. call. I'm gonna call um, Russell. Russell, hey, can you get Russell on the phone? Let's call. Let's him. get him on the phone. No, we can't do that yet. We're totally <laughs> low budget here. We don't have the. We're ability. not low budget. We're indie, dude. Oh, we're Come indie. On. I'm sorry. Thank it's you. Not, I know. Not, are we not low budget? No, we're indie. We're is indie, there a difference, dude. David? Dave, is there a difference? Of course, everything's paid for here. So, yeah, dude. Come on. There is no budget. No yeah, budget. there is no budget. <laughs> I want to let people know that ExtremeMusic.com showing up all over the place, all over television, and you wouldn't even know it. Anyway, let's get back to uh, Dan and um, Skip. So let's get to this. El Mariachi is one of the finest pieces of filmmaking ever. And mainly it's because he had no money, yet he still found a way to make all of these sequences and stories. And you were just, you, I, was, I was personally riveted, and I've seen the film probably 10 times to what Robert did and then he continued to do it and he continued to work at the highest level and he continued to entertain and he does yeah. today how did he and how did El Rey get started what was what was the idea behind getting El Rey started well you know before I touch on that I want to talk to you about the In importance of no, I this know. particular trailer yeah and relate it to um El, Mari El Mariachi. Oh, wow, okay. Right? Wow, okay. So, let's get, let's get um, into this. Robert's a really good cutter. And um, uh, strong filmmakers are also good cutters or editors or, uh, because they're shooting and being able to see the movie in camera. With Robert having to do all that stuff um, with limited resources, 
he knew he just couldn't shoot willy-nilly. Yeah. So he's shooting and editing in his mind. But to also get people excited about that project, he created a sizzle reel. Or uh, a sizzle reel meaning, you know, your your uh, coolest shots from the movie. Yeah. Um, so you create a vibe. And that was something that led to the trailer. But that sizzle reel in that trailer is also one of the most important things about your project. Yeah. Because it is pulling people in to see your work. Yeah. Um, and you are the only person that knows all those shots in that film. Yeah. One so, you thing- know, it's, you, you have to divorce yourself of the feeling of what was on that day. You can, you can I, I find with so many directors initially they're like, oh, that's a great shot because I remember, and I'll ask them why. I would ask them why. Why is that a great shot? So I can understand where your mind is at. Yeah. And a lot of times it would be, oh, we got through our day, we made our day, and this was this, and uh, there were no problems, but it doesn't dictate what was there on screen. So you have to sometimes divorce yourself from that particular process and put yourself in the process of choosing what is the coolest thing, coolest, I'm saying, what you want to present to people to go to get them hyped up. Right. So Robert was able to take those hot spots of all the things that he shot and put them into a trailer. It's really cool. I think it's online somewhere. Um, the El Mariachi trailer? Yeah, 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 the original one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this, and he this, showed this that around. Sizzle, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, it's really it, it's really yeah, cool but it, it is, is another thing that is just as important um or it's something that you don't forget and it's a, a huge tool just like the book he wrote and part of that I, I think he talks about it uh, is just um what went into creating that sizzle or that trailer yeah um so uh now i can relate that also to um el rey when uh i i'd read about um the initiative that was put forth um, to give uh, channels to uh, to make channels available to particular minority groups, and Robert becoming a part of it. Around that time, um, a really close friend of mine and business partner passed away. I was talking to Robert, and he said, "Dude, let's just get out of get out of Los Angeles and and come out to the studio because he'd been out to mine, but I'd never been out to Troublemaker." And he said, "Let's just get away from all the hype and everything." And so um, I came out, and uh, we just uh, went, sat on his Avid and went through a bunch of stuff. He was working on Sin City 2, I think, mm. at the time um, when I was out there. And so uh, we were just talking about a lot of stuff. Um, he, has a, a, he has a lot of kids. Um, I have kids, too. And we were just talking about um, our shared kind of interests, martial arts movies, kung fu movies, um, uh, Lucha, um, old grindhouse horror, just a lot of stuff that um, I, I, I've often found that movie geeks or fiends just like and gravitate yeah. to because those were things that you could identify with um, when you were younger, when you maybe couldn't necessarily identify with somebody else. Right. Um, so in in that identification, we talked about what our kids we're seeing on screen where you we grew up seeing people that didn't necessarily look like us or our friends but we projected our images on them we had shared a love of uh, kung fu movies so those in the 70s uh, and 80s later those were minorities fighting against an oppression so good guys versus bad it comes to comic book stuff um, with fantastical powers 
but uh, with a propensity for good, even though they were anti-heroes. Mm. That was stuff that we, like, there was so much of that out there that we were interested in, but wanted to share. But connect those things to this thought of representation or um, misrepresentation or, or non-representation. Minorities in general, right? Yeah, and so um, and it is representation without uh, pushing it for you. It's, it's natural. Yeah. So what we're talking about is natural. Is so, for instance, in Robert's films, uh, uh, the cast is Hispanic, but they're uh, just naturally so. Yeah, just naturally so, and the problems are maybe hyper real, but they are universal. So the villains are universal. It's a bad guy, or it's it's a um, it's a, a lady who is in charge, and can be the villain or can be the hero, um, but not objectified. If they are wearing something sexy, uh, it's because they own it. It's mm. not because they're being objectified by someone else. Right. They're in power of their presentation and how they're presenting themselves. So Skip, did this? Yeah. Did all of that? Come together, decide on getting getting well, business on El Rey. We talked about it, but also taking into account all the things that he had been in, been through, and his experiences with television networks, yeah. with movie studios, and with mine, right. both um, as producing and creating, but also as a vendor, and seeing where there are holes of efficiency and where you can push that efficiency. Um, at the same time, not sacrificing quality or getting as much quality out of whatever it is you have at your disposal. As much. Right. Um, so he ag- he yeah. must have agreed with all of that and said, like, well, yeah, we let's do it. Bans- bouncing back and forth. It's like, okay, so how can we do it? And that's, you know, Robert's mind is spinning and everything else. And so this was a conversation over a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, and uh, Robert keeps a, a, a creative collective around him. And... Um, uh, some other people that are there in uh, Austin are his uh, his colorist, his sound guy, most notably his um, poster guy, uh, Kurt Volk, and another guy, Luis. Um, they're shooters, they're directors, they're creative right-left hands and support. Um, you need uh, that. Yeah, you need that. You I think, need all that. Uh, I've been fortunate enough in my life to um, – be able to be around directors and producers that are looking for that same kind of thing and so you take those experiences build on them right so let's go to when the doors open yeah on the launch um, so the launch is a soft launch meaning this is meaning like we're up we've got programming on the air but what happens and what was unique for El Rey was we were in production on three originals two originals series usually shows launch and it takes them a couple years yeah. To go into originals, and what was the well, first show? Was it scripted originals? Scripted, scripted originals, really unusual. Originals. We're talking yeah. about uh, Do- from Dust till dawn. From Dust yeah. till dawn was yeah. it was from was the first dawn, show, right? Yeah, yeah. from Dust till dawn. Big careers, right? Lucha Underground, Lucha yeah. um, uh, Matador, Matador um, but uh, yeah, and uh, careers just jumped off. From and that just page. for yeah. just for uh, our audience, when did El Rey launch? What year? Five I think years, the, five years ago. Yeah, well, the soft launch, I believe, was November, oh. December of 13. Yes. And then the actual launch was, I think, February of 14. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up on six years. Skip, it's amazing uh, that you've been able to spend so much time with Robert and that you guys have mm-hmm. collaborated and talked deeply about all of the things that uh, ended up going into El Rey. Um, and, geez, 
Congratulations. That's oh, that's an that's an incredible I, thing. It's a real, you know, I think people that are involved in entertainment um, are just really anything that they are passionate about. There are moments in time where they um, fall into something. Daniel just talked to us, uh, f- fell into something, but saw it and felt it. And um, there were that was Elray. The beginning of Elray was just something that wow, I really feel like this is the right thing. But what's really cool about it is not always do people connect. You know, not always can you meet someone like Robert and connect with them on a on a creative level. So mm-hmm. that's very cool, especially considering he's one of the finest directors of the and creators of the past uh, couple of decades. So that's awesome, yeah. and that's been essential to. El Rey over the last yeah, five I could see and a half, almost I could six years. Feel is, it. They have those conversations nonstop. Robert is very involved, right? Oh, yeah. He's involved in every promo. You he's involved feel in it. every show. Yeah. He's involved in every decision yeah. in regards to creative, and he's a brilliant businessman. Right. And so having somebody like that, it's not, you know, many times you see celebrities or celebrity directors They're not involved. a figurehead. Right. Right. He's a part of this network. Right. And, and that's an important part. And so he and Skip and he and Kurt and he and Louise. They're always in sync to make sure that the vision and the mission of the company yeah. is on screen. Well, that's a terrific yeah. team, man. That's very that's very cool. Um, that's out in Texas. Yes, uh, Robert's in Texas now. Uh, no, that whole creative team. Are you guys all out there? Are you guys? No, split here. I'm here in Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say was, um, so promo department happens here in Southern California. But just because it happens here in Southern California doesn't mean it is not connected everywhere else. Um, the, uh, Daniel's talking about the influence of phones and being able to see things on your phone. Um, so we also, so Lucha Underground, um, from Dust Till Dawn, Matador, um, the director's chair. These are all things that happened overlapping each other. Right. Now, promos and... Um, sizzles and stuff on air and uh, stuff on socials all happening at the same time right robert's also gearing up to direct movies yeah yeah so the way we're able to do this is by phone right um so you just send them stuff and you're like here's what i'm thinking check this out right okay here's this we'll post this here or if i'm on set so we're looking at this if you think of el rey as just the idea of it is so cool comes from robert which is okay well we can figure out how to do it. Um, we have this much resources. Let's figure out what we can do within those things. And oftentimes, at the beginning and different times too, is, well, okay, Robert's going to direct uh, the first couple of episodes from Dust Till Dawn. Right. Wow, what's happening at the same time? Lucha Underground's happening at the same time. Right. Okay, Skip, you're going to direct a couple of things on Lucha Underground. Mm, right. Okay, so um, this is what's going on here. Kurt, you can handle these things. And we're all connected by phone. We're all tech connected by computer. We're at different parts of the Technology, country. Technology, man, it keeps but it you makes together. It so tactical. Yeah, it yeah. keeps right you there. together. That's it's also, awesome. It's also what makes Sailray, I think, unique is if I look at other cable networks, they're run by executives, right? And yeah. and, and many talented executives. Right. But they're not necessarily a director, right? An editor, yeah. right? And so when you look at Again, whether it's Skip or Louise, they direct, they edit, they do everything, right? Yeah, the whole Kurt, thing. He's a graphic artist. He's making every logo, the Lucha logo, everything that you see on the network is coming out of his brain, and it all funnels to Robert, who has a very flat organization. Most and of so, those things are done out of house, and yeah, almost every network. In, at every network. Are, yeah, but you guys are connected. You guys us. are connected by uh, technology. Yeah. So we That's don't awesome. Act like a, a typical network. No. We act like a creative company. And oh, by the way, we have distribution, so yeah. we get to 
play in our own little playground, and people get to see it because it's there. It's already built. So awesome. let me so let me move on. Um, filmmakers that are listening that think Robert and El Rey, what an incredible thing. Are you guys giving opportunities outside of Rebel Without a Crew to other filmmakers to to sub, to supply product to El Rey? Is there opportunities like that? Well, People's think, Network Showcase is yeah, a good example. I think example. before what led up to Rebel yeah, Without well, a Crew that, yeah. <clears throat> was um, Robert wanted this thing so it's also to create a platform for filmmakers to oh, show their so work. so cool. Yeah. Okay? So it's not just to show their work but also to come mm-hmm. on um, uh, feel what it's like to be on camera and to talk about and introduce their film, um, and not just introduce it, but uh, wow, what's the story? How you how you got funded for it? How did I get? How'd you get the funding for it? Um, what's your favorite shot? What was your most challenging scene? Um, how would you? What would you say to other people out there who are thinking about trying to do something of their own? Um, that started with um, the People's Network Showcase. Uh, and what well, we, even even before even that, before just that, the yeah. people, the idea the, of the, the people's idea network. People's Robert network. calls yeah. El Rey the people's network because mm-hmm. even before the, and we'll talk yes. about the show, we would have people submit whether it was a little promo or yes. a graphic or, or artwork, any yeah. artwork yeah. anything we could showcase. That's cool. That somebody had created, and we gave them the platform to be set. put that on air. That's yeah. great because yeah. there's no limits. If you have talent, we're going to help. We're going to put it on. It. Yeah, we're going to profile. Well, it's it. ran by a bunch of creative people, so they don't care about you know. It's not executives looking at the the, the you know the money. They're looking at yeah. They're looking at like the creativity of people. You got to love great. that. And we had who did we look Rebel Without a Crew. So how did you guys yeah. pick the people that get to make their seven thousand dollar film? Um, we took submissions, and also a, um, one of the people in that uh, Josh who was uh, on the show, was also part of the People's Network Showcase. So he had submitted a couple of his short films. The People's Network Showcase was a platform where people submitted their short films. Um, We had uh, one for animation, one for horror, one for action, um, one just in general. Um, so uh, it was. We were already sourcing talent. Oh, good. Um, and, and, and the uh, beauty yeah. of the show is, you would show their short, and then we would have them come on the show and talk about how they made their film. So they would sit in the director's chair oh, uh, oh, and be cool. interviewed cool. by yes. Skip. Exactly. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was going to talk about submissions for Rebel Without a Crew. That was put mm-hmm. out on a press release. And I can't remember the crazy numbers. Well, it was, but it it was, was we, just, we kind of had to stop around 2000. I heard 2000. Yeah, it was 2000. It was so fast. Like yeah. a week and a half. To right. me. Like it was yeah. really fast. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And yeah. uh, Rebel Without a Crew picked how many films to make? Uh, it was five filmmakers. Five, five filmmakers. Five and who filmmakers. did we have on our show? Scarlett. Scarlett Moreno. Scarlett, awesome. Scarlett Moreno. Yeah. She was incredible on the show. Her film was quite good. Yeah. Look, you got, you got to tip your hat to anyone who, who can do an hour and a half. With seven thousand dollars, right. you know, a lot of good acting, a lot of, mm-hmm. um, you know, they she figured out how to do her uh, all of her wardrobe, which was period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really was not an easy film to do. She was a, she was a do. designer to begin with. Yeah. So it, it was neat to see each each one each one of the filmmakers had their initial forte as filmmakers do in the world. Yeah, you bring what you know to the project. Hers was um, costume design. Right. Um, so uh, Josh was an animator. It was that was kind of the beauty of all the different submissions that we got is they reflected all the people. Well, let me tell you, we're doing a competition here on Let's Get Into It. Yeah, we're gonna pick one script that's between five and twenty pages, and I'm gonna raise the money for it right here on the show. Yeah, oh, that's oh, great. That's cool. yeah, right yeah. here, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my calls and I'm gonna raise the money. It's gonna be about fifteen thousand dollars. Yep. And uh, we're going to see what happens. And then we'll submit it to El Rey Great. for a potential showing. <laughs> yeah. cool. What do you think? All right, cool. Um, so, Daniel, how did you get to El Rey? How that actually came about was 
I had read a Needham paper, white paper, about the valuation of digital media companies and the valuation of cable networks, right? And the, the disparity between you had companies like Vice worth $4 billion right. at the time, right? This is end of 2015. And yet cable networks that have a dual revenue stream, right, a sub fee and ad supported, were much lower. And, and that perplexed me. Why was that? And here I'm at Machinima, which had a valuation. And so I started thinking, what if you could combine it? What if you could bring digital network you know, value into basic cable that had a, a dual revenue stream? And I don't know. I put it out in the universe. And within a week, I got a call from a headhunter who said, would you be interested in a, you know, uh, the president of El Rey job? And I said, give me 48 hours, I'm going to call you back. Right. Pulled out that white paper, read it again, and I thought to myself, out of all the cable networks, out of everything out in the landscape, there was only one that I believed had the ability to be kind of cross-send from a, a cable network to really a brand. Right. And that's El Rey, right? Because the brand is so powerful. One, you know, the king, right? Yeah. I am El Rey, right? right? Yeah. So a sense of pride in who you are. That was interesting to me. Of course, Robert Rodriguez. And it was a network targeting and, and built for U.S. Hispanic audiences, right? Primarily English-speaking U.S. Hispanic audience. Right. So for me, it has been the, the philosophy of all my programming, which is the belief in this mass niche. Something very specific, a very specific group you're talking to, psychographic, right, socioeconomics. Think of machinima. You're a gamer. It right. doesn't matter your demographic. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 54. Doesn't matter if you're Latino, African American, or white. You're a gamer. That's how you identify yourself. And El Rey has that same context. I right. am El Rey, and I can be 18. I can be 54. Mm. Right. So, I called them back and I said, "Yes, I would like to meet on this." And I'll, and I'll never forget it. My first meeting with Robert Rodriguez. He was uh, somewhere. They wouldn't tell me where. <laughs> and they put. I was on a plane to Miami, and I sat in a hotel until somebody came and picked me up. And they started taking me down Key Largo, like Key West, which yeah. I had never been. And at a certain point, there's nothing out there. Like, it's, it's pretty desolate. And, at, and I'm getting a little nervous. Yeah. I'm getting, okay, I don't know where I'm going, but this Wait is interesting. Wait a minute. Who was this headhunter? <laughs> <laughs> Did I do something wrong? Yeah. And the car pulls off. And it pulls off, and there's this old kind of, I don't know if it's a motel or hotel or something. It's kind of got the pink and blue paint. And out by the water is this little grass hut and a bar. And there's just one person sitting there. It's Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> got his hat. I got my hat. I go up. I sit down. And we had a phenomenal conversation. It was now at the getting there, I'm thinking, you know, this is a Quentin Tarantino movie. I'm going to get two behind the yeah, ear. Yeah, but yeah, right. It turned out to be a really wonderful conversation. And it was at that time. Robert told me his vision for Rebel Without a Crew. He said, and, and he had had this, and they had talked about it before me, but he had said he had this vision that on the 25th anniversary of El Mariachi, he wanted to see if he still had what it took to make a film for $7,000, and he was going to invite other filmmakers who had never made a feature to take the same challenge. And that's why it's not a competition show. It's about a challenge with yourself. Right. So they're not competing against each other, but it's, can you do it? If we give you the same resources that Robert had all those years ago, and by the way, Robert's going to do it with you, yes. which he did, and he created another film called Red 11, right, right which is out in the, the circuit right now. Right. And after that meeting, I just was committed, this is it, I'm, it. I'm getting this so, job. This is, yeah. this is for me, because everything that I had done in my past about understanding digital and television and 
big budgets and small budgets and scripted and non-scripted, I could help Robert, I could help this team from a business, from a programming, from a development standpoint, start building out more products. And the incredible piece of that story is that the way you went about your career certainly fits very well with the heart and soul of El Rey. Absolutely. I view myself as a, you know an entrepreneur. Yeah. I'm great at working at companies who want to innovate or turn in a different way. And you know, and and by the way, I met this guy, Skip, and <laughs> when I started hearing about his background and everything that he had done, and the other element of El Rey that's so important is that tone and style. Because all of our shows are their own brand, right? They look different for their show. But all of them, you could look at and go, oh, that's an El Rey show. Right. Because yeah. they all have a network consistency it feels right. under yeah. it yeah. on how they look, how they feel, yeah. and the way the stories are told. We have very clear, defined guidelines of our pillars, yeah. right? our principles that when somebody brings us a project or we're developing a project, that those things are the law, right? Those are our Ten Commandments, and there's mm-hmm. ten of them, that we look at and say, does it fit this? Does it fit this? And we had, Skip and I had a horrendous time early on opening up the doors and having producers and agents come in because there's very little diversity in Hollywood. That's true. Yeah. very little. That's and, true. And it's so glaring when you stop and say, okay, I'm looking for something that is diverse but also authentic. We got all the... Not and not yeah. pandering. And there's a, there's a true lack of understanding what that means for a lot of people. And I understand that, right? I'm not Latino. So I understand... Wait, I, you're not Latino? I'm not Latino. Stop, <laughs> stop recording. I know. Sorry about this. <laughs> By the way, that... Tibbets. That, I should have known. That's a different story when I had to sit Tibbets in front of the... Tibbets with a Z uh, at the end. Tibbets <laughs> with a Z right, at the end. Okay. Come on. Tom Cruise is also Tibbets. Mexican. Didn't it's, you know that? <laughs> but, it's, but it's an important element when, when I'm asked, right? Well, you're not Latino. How can you speak for the community? And the answer is, my job isn't to speak for the community. My job is to make sure that there's a platform and the opportunity for the community to speak for itself. Yeah, that's right. And so being able to have Skip and our team and everyone go out and then educate the community on how to do that has been imperative. Yeah, that's But terrific. we've gotten everything from the script that, you know, somebody says, oh, well, you can just cast a Latino in it. Well, no. Or, as you said, pandering. Yeah. Like, I got the perfect thing for you. It's, uh, uh, you know, drug deals at the border. Yeah. And, and and that's okay, but um, not everything. Not every Hispanic story is about drug dealers at the border. It, it is not always that kind of thing. It is just a universal story. Yeah, right. so that's well, true. It Robert takes place to, on the border. Just so happens to be from there. Robert yeah. talks about spy kids, and and he, I will never do it justice. But and you can hear many places online where he's talked about this, but. When he went in with Spy Kids, the executives were basically, well, why does it have to be a Latino family, right? You're going to narrow the market. And his answer is, what are you talking about? Like, no, this, is, this isn't a Latino story. This is my family. This is everybody's story. Yeah. This is a broad story. They just happen to be Latino, right? Yeah. right? And, and, but there was that moment disconnect. Now, he's Robert Rodriguez, so... The executive obviously said, okay. They said, and that got oh, made. I see your point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that was a defining film for many people. So many people come up to me constantly and say, that film was so important to me, right? right. As a Latino, that film helped me see myself on screen. Right. I hadn't seen it that and way. And that's exciting. Right? And, yeah. and, and it was done the right way. I think so. one of the things he said, I always thought it was cool, was um, just 
he said, well, look, um, James Bond is British, but you don't have to be British to enjoy James Bond. That's yeah. right. That's good. I like that. That's right. But look, um, incredible, Skip. Incredible uh, career. Great collaboration amongst lots of people that you work with, with Robert. That's amazing. Thank you for being here. Um, Daniel, uh, you, what, a, what a great story. I mean, thank you for sharing all of that. I know you didn't have to, but it was really great to hear about all, you know, your, your turns. Because I think it really, what it really does, it tells people, don't be afraid to take some risks. I mean, look, it could have gone completely wrong for you, right? I mean, things could have not worked out. And I don't know that we heard any of uh, the stories where you failed, but maybe there was some in there that didn't work out so much. There's always failure. Yeah. Right? So every, every turn is failure, but it's then, again, how do you turn it around? How do you turn it around? It's when I like to talk about Rome, and I love talking about Rome because it died. It was yeah. dead. It, I mean, it was not coming back a hundred times. Right. But through you know just again being relentless and right. patient stick with how it how do you bring it back how do you reinvent it right and through all that you got great breaks you did great work you became someone very important to you know filmmakers and uh, viewers alike and uh, and you work with with a terrific company and you you guys are doing great work I, i'm really excited to watch all of the stuff on there once i figure out how to get it on youtube tv <laughs> well is there somewhere else, like what else can you you could already i'd have to get spec- i'm sure they're figuring it's, it out it, it's well, going to be an app right yeah i mean ultimately if you think about el ray today it's the the traditional cable um, um yeah. carriers right so at&t yeah. spectrum right all those Comcast, guys. Right. cox communications right that's where we are today yeah and and there's a whole nother podcast to how that industry was created and yeah. a lot of the complications well, we're gonna have you back. that you have today with trying to take your content and put it other places. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of restrictions. Yeah. And so the answer is, yeah, we would love El Rey to be more places, yeah. but we have certain yeah. deals and certain restrictions in which and it'll, our partners, the carriers, yeah. who give us the majority yeah. of our distribution, that's our business the today. Ti- the time will come for that. And uh, one last thing. Um, how do you know Tom Beers? Oh, yeah. Tom. You know Tom Beers. You guys both know Tom Beers? So, uh, uh, I'm an exec producer on Bering Sea Gold. Ah, yeah. I love that yeah. show. Yeah. Thank God. Bering Sea Gold. Did you guys hear that? Yeah. Bering Sea Gold. Bering Sea well, Gold under the ice. And just, and just to give a little context, Tom Beers was the executive producer creator of Deadliest Catch, yep. Storage Wars, mm-hmm. Ice Road Truckers. Okay, come on. And your documentary. And he executive <laughs> produced my documentary, uh, Carlos Almaraz, Playing With Fire, which... Daniel Tibbetts, that's where we met. I have, yes. Yeah. I have seen it. It is brilliant. It is beautiful. Congratulations. Well, he didn't not, have too much to do with it. He just kind of like, you know. <laughs> I, I'm not going to put you on the spot here, but Tom Beers and I are going to be knocking on your door because I think a documentary about an artist that great should probably be showing on LA. I'm just saying. You're just saying. By, by the way, I agree. It oh. is uh, It is <laughs> the type of program yeah. that El Rey does look for. It is exactly on mission. Right. Thank you. We, we are, at the end of the day, it's an escapist entertainment channel, but it's always followed by the mission that Robert created. Yeah. And I think that product has done a beautiful job. It's thank entertaining, you. it's informing, but it also is really pushing the mission forward. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. I think that Almaraz, Carlos Almaraz, in general, had a very entrepreneurial spirit. And he was an, you know, an immigrant, and the guy fought for every little thing that he got. And he was also super talented, and he was one of us. So I hope that works out. I'll get back well, then, to you guys. Now the, the Hollywood answer is, 
Well, I'll uh, introduce you to my team. <laughs> <laughs> well, I met him. Here's Skip. Yeah. Uh, anyway, guys, thank you so much. Thanks everyone for being here. We had a we had a, a full house. We'll get to you thank next you. time, uh, Tammy. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time on Let's Get Into It. Thanks again. Thank that was you. Great. Once you get me going, thanks, buddy. I don't no, stop Skip, talking. Thank you.